Episode 491, Addiction Rescue, The Wolf of Wall Street, How to Recover and Ultimately Get Along with Your Ex, with David Marion and Dana Golden. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast, tracking down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, host of the number one men's development podcast that is now a best-selling book, Awaken Your Alpha, Tales and Tactics to Thrive. And it is my mission to share you the real stories, the useful stuff, the juicy stuff, and the reality of what it takes to thrive. Do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my bag. If you've ever thought or dreamed or wondered what it would be like to do a TEDx talk, you can get this completely free 45 minute training masterclass on how to land your TEDx talk in 90 days or less without wasting your time on the wrong opportunities. That training is brand new for 2021. You can jump over there, talkaccelerator.com forward slash masterclass. That's talkxcelerator.com. It really digs into the three key secrets to landing your own TEDx talk. Amplify your message and amplify your mission. All links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes at ayalpha.com. Get to the podcast. Okay, enjoy the show. This week, we've got a three-way interview. We've got Dana and David, and they are ex-spouses and experts in addiction recovery. Collaborated on a book together, Addiction Rescue, The No BS Guide to Recovery, and they work to help addicts and their families find recovery and repair relationships that addiction destroys. David, having lived through multiple addictions, among them opioids and gambling, lost everything, including five years of his life in federal prison. Dana lived on the other side of addiction, navigating through the wreckage David caused for herself and their two daughters. Really interested and excited to get into this interview today because it's not often we do a three-way interview and I think it's going to be really useful to hear both sides of the coin as it were. So Dana and David, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? Absolutely. Certainly. Awesome. And just for those listening on the podcast, they're not in the same location. So I suppose that's a good place to start as well. Where are you uh, originally from? individually or both and where are you speaking to us from today so david if we start with yourself i'm originally from new york city uh born in queens grew up on long island uh went to college down in florida university of south florida tampa and in 1989 my family and i was working on wall street a couple of partners of the brokerage firm intervened and sent me out to minnesota to go to treatment and i've been here the last 31 years what about yourself, Dana? Uh, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. I uh, spent uh, 18 years there, moved on to California where I spent about 10 years. I came to Minnesota at about the same time David did for a completely different reason, just to be with my sister again. And I've been here 31 years as well. So uh, we got here about the same time, met here in the middle, him from New York, me coming from California, uh, got married and we both uh, divorced now, but we still reside here in Minnesota, just about 20 minutes apart. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the addictions to the point where someone was sending you away um, and intervening. Well, that started uh, quite young. Um, I remember I started gambling at probably nine years old. I was drinking by the time I was uh, 13, had my first drink of alcohol. Um, and I love the way it made me feel. It gave me a profound personality change. Um, somewhere along the line, I was born with this limited self-belief that I wasn't enough. But once I started drinking and eventually started doing drugs, um, it made me feel as I, I was enough. 
that I fit in because I had something inside of me that was burning that didn't like the person that I was. When I began to drink and use drugs, I uh, liked people better and people liked me better. So I said, whoa, something here fits. Um, went to college and you know, continued the drug use. It escalated, got into cocaine, quaaludes at the time, grew up in the 70s. And, um, Whenever anyone says quaaludes, I just think of Wolf of Wall Street now. I don't know why that movie. Yeah, I went to high school with those guys. Uh, we grew up together. Um, so we have a lot of experiences. I could talk a, a whole show on that. Oh, blimey, that was a coincidence. No, I just mentioned that because that's, uh, that's <laughs> oh, yeah. sticks to mind. Okay. Yeah, actually, the, uh, the, the country club where he came rolling out into his uh, uh, Lamborghini at the time, I grew up as a caddy there, a busboy, a waiter, a car valet. Blimey. Yeah, so that was uh, um, interesting those days. Um, when I got finally back to New York, worked on Wall Street, really got introduced to a lot of uh, cocaine and yeah. drinking more, and that became the problem. And yeah. I couldn't stop, it just gotten really bad. I crossed the line, and eventually there was an intervention that was done on me. Blimey. And I mean, you mentioned uh, you grew up with that group and Jordan Belfort, and was there, I mean, was there anything to do with the fact that you spent time in pres prison, or when did that come in the story as well? That's later on in the story. Okay. Yeah. And was the, the, the Jordan Belfort thing, was that just, you just happened to be in the same place and you were acquaintances or how was that? No relation at all in business. Yeah. Although I did get my stockbroker's license first. His partner, Kenny, saw what I was doing and said, asked if he can get his. He got his and eventually Jordan got his stockbroker's license. They opened, they worked for a different brokerage firm. But Kenny and I were good friends at the time and we said, uh, he wanted to hear more about it. And I told him and he ended up getting his license after me. When did the, the five years in prison come in and talk to us about, I mean, it sounds like you were functioning from like 13, you were functioning with all these, uh, you know, addictions and you were actually, you know, producing results to a certain level. I don't know. You tell me, uh, when did it turn a corner and, and when did it come out of control? Basically. When I had ended up uh, working on wall street, I became a sales manager of a stock brokerage firm became real successful at a very young age. And I say I was making money. There's a lot of money that was going through my hands at the time. And as a result, I um, started using daily and it started to become a problem because I started to need more and more when I woke up in the morning. I couldn't start the day without something, some type of fix, whether it was a drink, whether it was you know smoke or snort, something to get my day going. And eventually it got to the point where it was so bad that my family intervened and sent me out to a place called Hazelden. It's now Hazelden Betty Ford uh, in Minnesota. And that's where my journey started. It's September 1st, 1989. I met Dana three years later. Uh, we dated for a little while, three months and a day, got engaged, married nine months later. Uh, a few years later, had two daughters not at the same time, one and two years later had another. And um, I was sober for a while. I was sober for 12, 13 years. And I had a bunch of knee surgeries done from an old, uh, I guess, a bad knee in college. And the first time I went to a doctor, he prescribed me 180 prescription pills, opioids. 
And I took two of them. I opened up the bottle. I took two and I called the doctor up. I said, doc, you're never going to believe it. I'm going to the bathroom. I opened up the pill bottle. They all spilled down. David, I'll write you another prescription. Oh. Now you're talking, I'm a first generation opioid guy. So no one really knew about the dangers, the destruction, the overdoses, the addiction, because that's where the pharmaceutical companies had misled and lied to us about the effects of these pills. At the time, uh, Dana and I owned a very successful gold and silver brokerage firm in Minneapolis, had many employees, uh, 60, 70 employees. Life was great, making a ton of money, living the American dream. But at the same time, I had this secret going on that I'm taking these pills. Yeah. And, you know, started gambling again also. Um, so through that course of action, my life began to uh, unravel. Yeah. Dana, this might be a, a good time to bring your, your perspective in. I had been around addicts all my life, and I was glad to find one that was in recovery and um, doing success, being successful not only in recovery in life, so I thought I found myself a real catch. And he was until he started using the pills, and, and then I made the mistake of taking him to Las Vegas. That's where my dad lived, to introduce him to my dad, and then that whole, opened up a whole nother uh, avenue of, of uh, addiction for David and um, our excursions to Vegas became monthly and the stakes got higher and higher oh. and um, it just escalated out of control and at one point I said you just got to slow down on the gambling we just can't keep doing this and and so uh, I stopped going to Vegas with them and then he would just go to the casinos at the Indian reservations near us and then when I'd say you have to stop going there too he'd say oh I did but I'd see bank statements that said he took out money there and then he would say oh the bank statements must be wrong and so i just couldn't take um the lying and the the hiding of it and yeah. um and the destruction it was causing um for our lives because of the money that he was spending on um, gambling and opioids so i told him in january of um 05 that uh, he needed to leave the house and um get his act together and if he could do that um, we would reconcile, but it just kept escalating. It, um, he kept hiding, it kept escalating. And so in July of 05, six months later, I filed for um, divorce. The gambling became more important than his family and his work. And, you know, during the day I would be looking for him and he'd be at the casino instead of it at work. And, you know, it just got to the point where it's like enough is enough. And if I don't do something to take care of myself and the kids, I'm going to go right down with him. Yeah. Today, what we understand is that we create leverage consequences called boundaries. And some of these boundaries that are really tough, um, a lot different than the way they were back then. And dealing with families that we deal with today, some of the consequences that I impose or have them impose on their um, significant other who's using is a lot tougher than it was back then. Because we've learned more. There's more information, there's more data. There's more evidence-based testing on what works and what doesn't work. You know, the old tough love stuff or just tell, you know, just tell, you just have to stop. You just, just say no. And, you know, that conversation is long gone. Yeah. Because now you've created, there's a mental obsession that happens. And once you have a mental obsession with addiction, you start using, you have a physical allergy. And when I talk about a physical allergy, it's not the same thing as you're allergic to peanuts or berries, you break out in rashes and hives. When I start using, I break out in spots. Okay. Vegas, Mexico, prison. 
I mean, I can't stop. I go to places you've never seen. You know, it's not normal. Yeah. Which means I don't have a shutoff switch. I can't just have one or two and be done. It's like driving a vehicle around with no brakes. You're not going to stop until you crash into something. David, what was, uh, throughout this whole journey, what was the, probably the, the toughest time or the lowest point or is the biggest challenge for you? Well, I would say going to federal prison. I would say coming out of federal prison. Well, I was going to say, what, what, from your point, Dana, what is your personally your toughest point of all of this? Well, certainly when, uh, and we haven't even gotten to that point, but um, David uh, was indicted um, and then uh, prison was eminent. And that was just a scary time knowing that um, he bankrupted the company that uh, we had started together. And so going from a lot of money to no money and raising two children and David going off to prison, so not certainly not being able to count on him financially and um, having to pick up those pieces. Um, I hadn't, uh, I worked in our business, but in 05 when I filed for divorce, he fired me. So now it's been six years, I haven't worked um, and I have to quit come up with something to uh, financially support the girls and I. So you went, you went to prison in 20, uh, 2011, is that roughly? Yes, 2012. 2012, okay. Yeah, indicted in 11 and to prison in 12. Yeah. So, so what, exactly, what exactly happened there? Because it sounds obviously, did you get divorced around 2006? Or, or when 2007 you it was finalized. 2007. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but the addiction carried on. It sounded like it picked up speed. Is it? Oh. Yes, absolutely. December 23rd. Uh, 2010, I went into a facility and a treatment center to kick. I was doing opioids and uh, got involved in heroin also. Um, you know, a little recreational snorting heroin, I thought, right? It started out and then it became um, pretty crazy. Um, interestingly enough, the day that the FBI, the DEA, uh, a bunch of other federal agencies had come to my office. I came to my office one day with a, I used to carry a pill vial filled with, you know, probably two, three grams of heroin. And the day that I went to my office, one day that I had gone to my office, I noticed about nine, 10 federal agents standing outside. And I'm thinking, boy, someone's gonna have a bad day. This episode is sponsored by the Talk Accelerator. Increase your influence, income, and impact get this completely free training masterclass on how to become a TEDx speaker. And you can jump over talk X C E L E R A T O R.com forward slash masterclass really digs into the three key secrets to landing your own TEDx talk. We had tried to go public on the exchange. Yeah. And I did a public offering and we raised, you know, about a million dollars and I hired two guys from different brokerage firms to help with this. And, we, I ended up firing them both. And it just became really just a, a, a nightmare of errors that were done. At the end of the day, I took full responsibility for this. So whatever happened. But when I was arrested that day, I'll never forget, I walked into my office and an FBI guy and DEA guy came in my office and I had this pill box in my front pocket with heroin in it. And I can't remember what they were saying or how they were saying it. All I'm thinking is that I have to get rid of this pill bottle. When we walked into my private office, they followed me, closed the door, and I moved the pill bottle from my front pan pocket into 
my waist where my underwear was. And I dropped it in there with my underwear. I'm walking around my desk and what comes rolling down my leg. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my God. Now I'm playing the footsie game with this bottle on the floor, this pill bottle. I'm playing this game and I'm thinking, how the hell, they're asking me a million questions. I don't remember one, but I'm sweating profusely. As I'm playing footsie, I grab a pencil on my desk, I start tapping it, I drop it on the floor. I pick it up with the pill bottle, put it in one of my drawers. My lawyer says, you could leave now. You don't have to sit in there, I end up leaving. Well, I'm thinking all day long, oh my God, this is all I could think about. My company's just been raided, right? For money laundering, conspiracy commit wire fraud, and all I'm thinking about is the pill bottle. They told me I can come back at four or five o'clock and get, you know, get the rest of my stuff. Four or five o'clock, I come back into my office. All of my belongings strewn out throughout my desk. They had dumped everything over. And what's the first thing I'm doing? I'm looking for that pill bottle. Yeah. I'm searching high, I'm searching low, I'm going everywhere. And sure enough, I find this pill bottle. First thing I do, I open it up. I go, oh my God, it's still here. Dump a little out and I get high. And that's the power of addiction. You've just been busted by these federal agents and all you can think about is getting high. Mm. It wasn't long after that that I knew that I really seriously needed to get help. I knew my life was uh, going down the tube quick and I checked into a hospital for uh, 28 day detoxification from heroin and opioids. And that's the story where you know, I'm in there three days and start screaming to the nurse, nurse, what's happening in here? Where is everybody? They said, sir, you've been balled up in the corner making farm animal noises for three days. We kept bringing food in. We were checking your cuff, you know, put the cuff on your arm and you'd just been completely out of it. And that's where my journey started again. Do you feel like you've cracked it now or how long have you been clean? Uh, nine years, nine and change. So yeah, I feel it. It's a day-to-day -day deal. Yeah. But my life is so amazing today that um, I don't have the obsession to get high. I don't have the obsession to drink. You know, all these obsessions. I don't have the obsession to gamble, right? But it's a day-to-day -day deal. Yeah. I know what happened yesterday. I don't know what happened tomorrow. But I know today my job is to, I need to have another personal best today. Yeah which means get to bed without a drink. And I had another personal best. And what did, what do you feel five years in prison did to you? It gave me an introspective life. Look on life. I said it actually saved my life. It did something to me that I really had to begin to take a look and realize that I want to write a happy ending to this story. I don't want my legacy that letter to end here. I want it to be completely different. And when you come from the worst part of your life and dealing with other men who are coming from the worst part of their life and some very, very successful people as well, some not so successful, you begin to realize what is it going to take to put your life back together? We have this great vision, you know, but what is the action that's going to be attached to it? Well, Dana mentioned she thought the worst day of my life was coming out. Uh, the worst day was definitely going in. The second worst day was probably coming out because that's where life really had a lot of obstacles and hurdles that I never imagined. How many opportunities I would not have, how many people would not hire me 
because you are labeled as a felon. Yeah. Convicted. I said, everybody's a felon. We all do something wrong. I'm just convicted. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dana, I know you guys have a five action process to get into a standard recovery. I mean, so I want, I want to get you involved as well. And, and your perspective on the whole thing, obviously dealing with David ultimately and how he's been pre and post and what's he like now? <laughs> David is a great guy. He's just got a terrible uh, addictive personality. And when he's clean and sober, he's the best. And that's why we've been able to maintain a relationship um, in working together um, to co-parent our kids, to help other addicts and their families, um, because he really does have the best of intentions. Um, it's just his addictions gotten away for a lot of years. So when, when he came out of prison, his options were to stay at a halfway house or to stay at home. And of course we were divorced, but my home was his children's home. So our kids said, mom, if you don't let dad stay with you and make him go to halfway house, we'll never talk with you again. So he came out of prison and he lived with me for um, a good two years. Definitely been able to maintain a friendship without, you know, the romantic piece in place, um, but to help, you know, all those in our lives that benefit from us having a good relationship. Um, so David's the guy today that he was when I met him. And, um, and that's just a great guy that cares about people. That's not selfish. That's not all about me and what I can get uh, money-wise and people-wise to do for me, um, but genuinely a generous person and someone that wants to help others. So. so when did you two start, you know, helping other people, you know, feel like you got yourself sorted out and then help other people and start working together on, on that. And this what's this, the five action process. That uh, David started in prison to write down his, his story, his life story and where it began and how it escalated. And so he kind of put that down on paper and then I put it in a book form. Um, our first goal was to write a memoir, um, addict codependent and how that plays out. Um, but we realized with David's work he's doing now as an interventionist, he is a nationally certified intervention professional as well as a certified recovery coach. And so we realized that we really needed a self-help book because that would be uh, something that he could use when he speaks. He does speaking engagements all over the country um, just to really help people leave something behind with them. So kind of went off, uh, started the memoir and then took a detour to do the self-help book, which as you said, is Addiction Rescue, the No BS Guide to Recovery. So David and I collaborated together while we were living together on this five action process and um, all the different ways we could help people through knowing the rules of addiction, knowing the rules of recovery, knowing the excuses people use, knowing the signs of relapse. And we put that in list form to really give people a tool to just check in with themselves um, and make sure they're on the right path on a daily basis and sometimes on an hourly basis when you're coming out of recovery. Awesome. And what, could you just give a summary of what the five phases? Um, David loves to talk about the first. So go ahead, David. <laughs> Wake up and pull your head out of your ass, <laughs> which is the essence, essential ingredient for acceptance, right? Because you can deny the reality you're using for so long, which means you don't have to do anything about it. But once you accept there's a problem, now that comes with change. Once you begin to accept it, now you get to understand it, which is action number two. Yeah, and addiction is different for everybody. It creeps into their lives in different ways. They do it for different reasons. They maintain doing it for different reasons. You have to understand, you can't change anything until you understand the habit or why you're doing it in the first place. 
then is finding the solution that's right for you because there is a plethora of information, resources, ways to go about getting sober. And there's no one size fits all plan for everybody. So we talk about the different ways to go about uh, getting into treatment, finding recovery, and the different options there. So finding a solution that's right for you. The fourth action step, you know, or the third, it's important to get on a path. Everyone's got to get on a path to recovery. If you're going to reject a path, it's going to lead right to a relapse. Mm. Okay. So the fourth step, obviously, is now what happens? I got to do the work. What does that look like? Right? What does it look like? Do I just show up and think I'm going to get this deal through osmosis? That they're going to knock it in? You have to do the work that's necessary. And once you begin to do the work, you're going to do this continuum care or aftercare, right? And that's the fifth process. Following through, you're going to go through different levels of care in recovery. You're going to, it might start out in an inpatient facility. Now you're going to start out, and then you're going to drop down to uh, an intensive outpatient program. Now you might down to sober living. But it's all part of the aftercare. Now you might get a life recovery coach, which I'm certified, and I do a lot of life coaching as well uh, for people around the country. And you're basically, it's the acclimation back into life, back into your world. And we're going to move into the alpha round to wrap things up. And so I wondered, um, either individually or if, if this comes together, I, I imagine it would be individually. Is there a particular quote that really sums up your approach to life now or a favorite quote? Anything spring to mind? You know, pain in life is inevitable, yet misery is optional. You know, you want to start feeling good about yourself. Stop doing the things that make you feel bad. The simplicity of that. Dana has a few also. Uh, your background and circumstances may have influenced who you are, but you are responsible for who you become. Like it. And Dana, is there, has there been a particularly impactful book for you? Apart from obviously the one you wrote with David, is there a particularly impactful book for you along your journey? Every book on codependency, um, just to understand my role in the relationship, because I certainly wasn't responsible for his addiction, but I certainly was responsible for enabling him to get away with it for a long time. Do you think uh, there's a particularly good one? Facing Codependency was my, my favorite uh, codependency book. It's the one that re I resonated with m most, and it has a workbook that went along with it that I did. David, what about yourself? Any impactful book? Yeah, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. First 164 pages. It's a manual for living. It's going to give you a complete layout on how to live a life in recovery. And if people want to continue the conversation, because the time has absolutely flown, and I feel like we've only scratched the surface, what's the best way to connect with you and hear more? You can contact him right through his website. It's theliferecoverycoach.com. His email is david at theliferecoverycoach.com. Um, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I'm dana at danagolden.com. I really work with the families, uh, kids, um, understanding, um, helping others to understand addiction and their role in it and how to repair the relationships because there's a lot of bitterness that goes on when an addict gets the help they need and the family's left behind with no help that they don't have. Yeah. These addicts that are in our lives that cause us so much havoc aren't bad people. They just have a bad disease of addiction. And we have to learn to separate the person from the addiction. And once we can do that, we can start to heal and the resentments start to go away and we can start to love and forgive. <clears throat> and for me, I think also, I'm realizing that 
the more families that I deal with, I realize how sick the families are. The addict might be afflicted, but the family has been affected. And their recovery is a lot harder than the actual addict or alcoholic because they never thought they had a problem at all. They kept pushing it to the other side. And they still are inflicted with many of these problems that they don't realize because all they're waiting for is little Johnny or Lisa to get sober and their life will be great. And when they get sober, they lose their, their title, their role. They don't know how to go through life. So yeah, that's a conversation for another day. But. Definitely. Well, David and Dana, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for letting us get our message out there, Adam. We appreciate your time. Thank you. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast, tracking down the finest alpha minds on the planet for you. This episode is sponsored by the Talk Accelerator. Increase your influence, income, and impact. If you've ever thought or dreamed or wondered what it would be like to do a TEDx talk, you can do that. So head over to talkxcelerator.com forward slash masterclass and you can get this completely free training masterclass on how to become a TEDx speaker and thought leader without desperately chasing and wasting your time on the wrong opportunities. It really digs into the three key secrets to landing your own TEDx talk. All right, have a great week. Amplify your message and amplify your mission. Do the little guy a favor, subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back.